Gulf War illness is a chronic condition characterized by physiological and psychological symptoms, including cognitive dysfunction, memory problems, and depression. But what is currently known about this debilitating condition that affects nearly 30% of Gulf War veterans? Welcome to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Jerome Liss, and joining me to help shed some light on Gulf War illness is Dr. Ashok Shetty, who is professor in the Department of Molecular and Cellular Medicine, as well as associate director for the Institute of Regenerative Medicine at Texas A&M University College of Medicine. Dr. Shetty, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. So let's just dive right in, Dr. Shetty. As we know, the Gulf War took place over 30 years ago. So why are the cognitive problems associated with Gulf War illness still prevalent in veterans today? To ask this question, uh, I need to give you some background about the potential causes of Gulf War illness. So initially, when veterans displayed uh, symptoms after the war, it was thought to be all because of war-related stress. But later on, uh, epidemiological studies, they have suggested that the illness is because of exposure to multiple chemicals during the war. And this include uh, insecticides, pesticides, and also the gas prophylactic drug, pyridostigmine bromide. So during the war, uh, the service personnel took pyridostigmine bromide uh, against uh, the possible gas attack. Both pyridostigmine bromide is uh, approved for treating myasthenia gravis, for example. So it does not enter the brain because of uh, the blood-brain barrier. In the presence of significant exposure to other chemicals such as pesticides or even uh, war-related stress, uh, PB can enter the brain because of the leaky blood-brain barrier. So once it enters the brain, uh, it can mediate adverse effects, particularly hyperactivity of neurons. Since it is an acetyl cholinesterase inhibitor, it can increase the concentration of a particular neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, and that can activate neurons. You know, so neurons can fire like crazy with very high levels of acetylcholine. So the net effect of multiple chemical exposures is uh, the hyperactivation of neurons in the brain, uh, which can increase oxidative stress. So oxidative stress is basically accumulation of harmful uh, uh, reactive oxygen species, also called free radicals. So when you have very high levels of uh, reactive oxygen species, it can trigger acute inflammation. So now acute inflammation after injury or infection is good for removing dead cell debris or invading pathogens. So cells that mediate acute inflammation in the brain are called microglia. So these cells are basically the resident immune cells in the brain. However, the problem is when the trigger for acute inflammation is sustained, in the case of Gulf War illness, it happened because of continuous chemical exposure for a certain period of time, the microglia become chronically active. So when that happens, they never go back to the resting state. So activated microglia continuously secrete a harmful chemicals called cytokines. These are the pro-inflammatory cytokines. So they can maintain sickness-like behavior. So that is what is likely happening in Gulf War illness. So animal studies have shown that exposure to Gulf War illness-related chemicals 
leads to persistent chronic inflammation in the brain. So the persistent inflammation in the brain appears to be the main reason for never-ending cognitive problems in veterans with gut problems. Do you know why this affects some veterans over other veterans from the Gulf War? This is another issue that has been debated a lot. And I think it is mainly because of the variability in exposure to different chemicals that cause Gulf War illness. For example, service personnel stationed in battlefield areas, they were reported to be exposed heavily to many pesticides and insecticides, in addition to the drug pyrrhosigmine bromide. And, but uh, those stationed away from battlefield areas had relatively less exposure to pesticides and other chemicals. So then a subgroup of veterans was likely exposed to low-level gas that was released into the atmosphere after the demolition of some buildings during the war. So overall, it, it appears that uh, the extent and the type of chemical exposure played a role in developing Gulf War illness with distinct symptoms. So it's uh, quite severe in some veterans, not so severe in some veterans. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Neural Frontiers on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Jerome Liss, and I'm speaking with Dr. Ashok Shetty about Gulf War illness in veterans. So, Dr. Shetty, based on everything you discussed earlier regarding the underlying mechanisms, how do we currently approach treating Gulf War illness in veterans today? In animal models of Gulf War illness, uh, we and others have tested uh, several antioxidant and anti-inflammatory compounds. And uh, many of these studies have shown the ability of these compounds to reduce both neuroinflammation and cognitive problems uh, in Gulf War illness. So some of these uh, compounds are actually natural dietary supplements, such as resveratrol, which is an extract of red grapes, and curcumin, which is an Indian spice. You know, both resveratrol and curcumin, they're being tested in veterans with Gulf War illness uh, in clinical trials. Our recent study has also shown that even moderate exercise can reduce neuroinflammation in the brain and improve cognitive function in animals with chronic Gulf War illness. So a simple lifestyle change, um, you know, like exercise, uh, can improve cognitive function in veterans with Gulf War illness. However, the, you know, the severe exercise may not be suitable for veterans with Gulf War illness because some veterans with Gulf War illness also have chronic pain. But in those who do not have chronic pain, so simple exercise you know, can modulate those microglia, activated microglia, and improve cognitive function. Okay, and are there any promising therapies for Gulf War illness on the horizon? So, so far, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy has shown some benefits. Um, the resveratrol, curcumin, and other drug trials, they're still ongoing. So the results are yet to be published. But based on the results in animal model studies, uh, beneficial effects are expected with dietary supplements such as resveratrol and curcumin. Are there any preventative therapies moving forward in such situations for veterans that are exposed? Yeah, I think the one important thing is to minimize exposure to pesticides and insecticides because during Gulf War, it was heavily used. Chronic exposure to pesticides and insecticides are very harmful, particularly for brain function. So that's one thing you know, one can take care of you know, using some alternatives to 
compounds like teat, some other compounds that which can repel insects could be used. In terms of uh, you know drugs, I would think that dietary supplements like resveratrol and curcumin will be beneficial because they have antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects. So during uh, day-to-day exposure to um, you know the compounds that cause inflammation, so you can prevent by taking such dietary supplements. Now we're almost out of time for today, Dr. Shetty. But before we close, can you share with us what's next for your research focusing on Gulf War illness? Sure. We recently found that a drug used for treating asthma called Montelukast. So it it reduced neuroinflammation and improved cognitive function in a model of Gulf War illness. Again, this is an animal study. But based on these three clinical results, my research group and a research group uh, headed by Dr. Drew Helmer at the Baylor College of Medicine, Houston, uh, submitted a collaborative clinical trial grant proposal to the Department of Defense. So this proposal is now approved for funding and Dr. Helmer will be recruiting veterans for this clinical trial and my lab will be studying changes in neuroinflammation. So this is our uh, next project, actually. Well, all this has been very interesting, and I, for one, hope to speak to you again once those results are available. And that brings us to the end of our program today. Uh, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Ashok Shetty, for joining me today. Dr. Shetty, it was great having you on the program. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I'm Dr. Jerome List. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit ReachMD.com slash NeuroFrontiers, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.